0: If you don't have a safe word, then you just might be playing it wrong. Welcome Playing It Wrong. Podcasts about RPGs, fun, food, more RPGs. Grab your dice, sit back, and get ready to play it wrong. woohoo Love is in the air, but maybe not Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, in case you didn't hear, they kind of released a little one of their Unearth Arcana... PDFs for 5th uh, edition, and the love domain was not accepted very well by the general public. Well, they should use a safe word. I guess that safe word should be edit, or proofread, or double-check before you post something. You know, little guys like me can get by with shit like that, but not them. All right. Enough of about them. Let's go on to the main part of this episode. It's one of those weird times were, yes, I have Collins. We've got a couple of Collins. And first up, we've got an old time buddy here. Yes, I'm being a presumptuous and saying buddy, but we've got Tim Shorts from Gothridge Manor.
1: Hey, Chuck. Just listened to your last episode and thank you for the shout out. Appreciate it and the backing. And as listening to your pet peeves, completely agree with publishers kind of putting their uh, products in different categories just to try to get extra sales. I don't know. It just seems weird because if you're looking for a five E product, then why would you buy, you know, something that wasn't and vice versa type thing? Uh, uh, the, the crafting one though, I kind of, I'm I'm doing a podcast here and, uh, that's one of my favorite things to do like you know, on online games and stuff. I, I Matt and I, and I work that a little bit into my games, but I'll, uh, Kind of addressed that in my podcast, but uh, thanks again for backing uh, and uh, giving me a shout-out. Thank you.
0: Wow, that was interesting. Um, yeah, uh, for some reason Audacity completely lost my microphone, so we had a little minor technical hiccup there. But yes, thank you for calling in, Tim. And I guess you've had better luck at crafting rules than I have, because we've ended up with sessions that are just basically the magic user, the cleric, just making crap, which is like boring for everybody else (sighs) but hey big congrats on your kickstarter and your zine quest it's going strong it's going good and hey and speaking of zine quest i'm going to go off on a little tangent here i forgot a very important one the last time that i was talking about the zine quest of course there's tim's zine quest hunters and death and, of course, the phylactery, which looks really, really good from Planet X Games. And also one that I totally forgot about, and I'm glad to see it's coming up, and that's Steve C's Dice Roll Zine. Hey, he's got an Anchor Cast, he's got a blog, and it's issue 3. Issues 1 and 2 are on drive Through, and it's some pretty good old-school stuff, so... There's going to be a link in the show notes, so go ahead and check out the Dice Roll Zine issue number three Kickstarter for Zine Quest. It's ending very soon, so go ahead and check that out. And hey, guess what? I got another call in, this time from Chicago Wiz.
1: Hey there, it's Mike Shorten, Chicago Wiz with Dungeon Master's Handbook. Just listening to your podcast where you're uh, ranting about uh, domain play. Totally agree with you. I'm not interested in playing papers and checks, but I'll tell you something. After talking to uh, folks that played in uh, Barker's Tecumel campaign and in uh, Gary's uh, Greyhawk campaign, sounds like what they did was, as those guys got to high level, then they went back and started playing the smaller characters and having their high level guys basically have armies. And I know some of them were into war games too, so they ended up having some nice lovely battles that they fought against each other or against uh, you know, the, the Dungeon Master. But all in all, it sounds like that they branched out into a lot of different areas from the top down, which is what I'm going to do in my campaign. Anyway, hope to uh, listen more of your episodes and take it easy. Game on.
0: Hey, and thanks for calling in. Uh, Mike, The uh, I agree with you. I, I've heard that Gary did that stuff. And a lot of times, I don't know, modern, maybe I've got a whole rad. This episode's going to be about modern players and weird stuff. But anyway, I like the idea. And I've had this crazy idea for a long time of doing, like, a centuries long dynastic Call of Cthulhu campaign, like start out like in ancient Egypt or ancient Rome and then work up to modern day where the future characters are going to be affected by what their previous character did and may may even be descendants of it. But yeah, the um especially setting out the armies and stuff, that's kinda like what I, I mentioned that uh when we had played Pendragon while well, it was fun doing the domain stuff was fun and quick in Pendragon. And yeah, we don't want to do papers and paychecks. And thank you for calling in. And hey, in case listeners haven't listened to DM's Handbook, go ahead. Subscribe to that AnchorCast. It's a good one. I'm catching up on old episodes. It's one that kind of fell under my radar because there's so many. And sometimes it's just hard to get everywhere on social media. So what's this episode? Uh, It's going to be a big session summary episode. That's right. Session summary. Should I do the bumper? Nah, I'm not going to do the bumper. This last Thursday, the Swords and Wizardry campaign continued on, and we are adventuring in the Blight by Frog God. Frog God? Frog God Games. And whoa, it was a fun episode because they want a little side quest. We're going through the Levy Adventure Panth that is in the uh, setting book for the Blight, but there's also extra adventures, and they picked up the side quest. In case you would know, it is the Crooked Nail. And it was a fun one. Most fun. There's one scene that really, really sticks out in my head in this. And that we have to realize that one of our characters is Steve the Paladin. Steve is a half-orc. I'm letting any race be any class for this because why the hell not? Steve the half-orc Paladin. Well, Steve the half-orc Paladin also is dumb as a rock. He is the dumbest character in the party. And yes, I'm playing around with attribute minimums. I'm not worrying about it. Instead, I'm giving bonuses for high attributes. I house-ruled some classes, especially the paladin, because the you know, paladin is more of a witch-hunter now rather than a knight in shining armor. But, yes, Steve is a half-orc paladin. He is dumb as a rock. He's the dumbest one in the party. In case you want to know, his intelligence is five. That's right, five on his intelligence. Ain't old-school games fun, because you could have a paladin with a five intelligence. If The DM says so, and I said so. So how does this little train wreck start? Well, first of all, let me... Uh, get you the setup. Well, basically the player characters are there. They're in a, they're basically an alchemist shop. And they're back in the hallway slash storage area. They're facing against a couple of homoculi, pickled homoculi, fetus type things, and the alchemist himself. So, the alchemist who really isn't a combat type, chugs a potion of speed, and zips out the back door. Our faithful were druid, yes, I'm letting were-rats be player characters too. The were druid who Interesting enough, has convinced Steve that his changing into this humanoid rat shape is druid magic. No, I'm not a rat It's druid magic. Anyway, the uh, druid goes chasing off the alchemist, leaving Steve and the assassin unsupervised against the two pickled homoculi. <sighs> Things go crazy. First, Steve gets beat up much. So, Steve, who is now has no healing, says, All right, um, I'm just going to grab a potion off the shelf and chug it. I'm like, um, Okay, well, hey, let's flip to the random potion chart in the book, and let's see what you grab and drink. Well, I'll be damned. He got a healing potion. Okay, he got lucky once. All right, then what happens next a couple rounds later? The assassin drops. Steve rushes over and says, It worked last time. I am going to grab another potion off the shelf and shove it down the assassin's throat. Okay, fine. Let's roll on that chart again. He can't be lucky twice, can he? Well, I'll be damned. He was lucky twice. Another potion of healing. By this time, Steve is also beaten up a bit more. The fight's basically over. He's like, well, Steve's hurt. I'm going to grab a third potion off the shelf and chug it. All right, he cannot be this lucky three times. Rolls, and I'm letting him roll. Rolls. All right, it's not a potion of healing. It's a potion of extra healing. This goes to show you uh, one of the little players in one of uh, that I used to play with. He had a saying: God looks after small children, fools, and ships named Enterprise. Well, Steve was the dice looked after Steve. I don't know how long he. Can, He could continue this, but it was great fun for all at the game. We were laughing. We were were laughing just at the sheer luck that he had rolling on the random chart to see what he pulled off the shelf. It was fun. And I just used the standard chart that's in the book. And I know it's a little tilted towards the healing potion. It's 25%, but still, odds are he should not have gotten two of them plus an extra healing potion. But after the game, when characters are leveling up. This brings on to the meat of the episode of old school versus new school ideas, especially 5e. You now, this is kind of... I'm mixing the chrono, 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 chronology of the session to make this all make more sense in the podcast, but I'm doing it anyway. But anyway, at the end of the session, characters are leveling up, and the druid player makes remark that, you know, one thing he likes better about 5e is characters get something neat every level yeah, you basically do. I played enough a 5e, yeah, you basically do. But it gives you power creep. And pretty much, almost whatever class you are or whatever paths you're taking, you're kind of the same as everybody else that takes that path. Even though my first explanation was, well, you just made 3rd level as a druid, you've got 2nd level spells, you've got more hit points, your save improves, and you've got an attack bonus. you got all this stuff. But it's not a neat power. Therein lies one of the differences between old school and new school. Because the players did get some neat powers in this ep- in this session. <coughs> because if you've read The Blight, and if you haven't, really, go get it. It's expensive, but it's freaking huge. The study book is nearly 900 pages long. So yes, while it's expensive, it's got a lot of crap in there. One of the things in an area called Booktown are secrets that characters can make deals with demons and devils and get some sort of benefit, but there's usually some sort of horrendous cost. And when I read that, it's like, oh God, they've got to take this. They've got to take advantage of this. The druid and the assassin did. Steve didn't. (laughs) So what did the druid do? The druid made a deal with the demon. Yeah, that's right. So what does he get? He gets plus three to his armor class, but he did lose six points of charisma permanently. The assassin. No, they're second. They just made third level. The most experienced characters just made third level in the campaign. So they're third level. So he's he's got a in armor class for for a third level druid with no magic items. The assassin makes another deal with an Aaron What does he gain? He gains the ability to use True Sight three times per day. That's the good news. But there's some bad news with that. One, he's got that anger and demonic fury boiling in his brain under his personality. And every time he uses the true sight, well, see things as their most warped and worst. Sort of accurate, but sort of glass always half empty. So I'm making him make saving throws. Because the first time he did this was in the hallway when we were fighting said alchemist. Which... Okay, you're looking at a guy who's an alchemist making homunculi. You know who also has made deals with demons and summoned demons. You're seeing the were-rat, as he truly is for the first time, who just got done making deals with demons. You've got all the weird homunculi and other weird things sitting on the shelves all around you. I had him pass out and pee himself. So, yes, while he has true sight, there's some edges for and that is where it gets around to the difference between old school and new school. Five E, you automatically get some neat powers every level. Old school, the whole idea is that's one of the reasons you go out adventuring. You drink the random potion, you make the deal with a demon, you make the deal with a god, you make a deal with some wizard, you mess with some magic item, and you get a neat power. And if you're lucky and you're communicating well with your DM, you can kind of relay what you want and the DM's going to throw those hooks in for you To get those cool powers you want that aren't in the book that's going to make your character truly unique and interesting. Or at least you could have a dramatic death trying to get the neat and cool stuff. But there, my friends, is in my little opinion, another one of those big differences between old school and new school. There's this, there's no programmed bit of... What do I want to say? Um, This is the neatest powers you get. You get the neat powers through the adventuring, through, oh, oh, dare I say it, story! That's right, it's the epic story. Maybe not epic, but at least interesting and violent. All right, that's enough for this rant, and guess what that means? You know what it means? Tones of ancient forbidden knowledge. Alright, we are rocking on supplement 2, Blackmore, and we just finished up last week with the dumbest freaking thing that's been in D&D. This time we're moving on, we're going to start talking about monsters. These are new monsters at the time, but, you know, a lot of them are considered standard now. I'm going to skip over the charts and stuff because that's boring to read, but we're going to go right into the descriptions because that's where the fun stuff is. So let's start this off, and I don't know why they don't even alphabetize these. But we've got mermen. Do you realize that mermen are more intelligent than lizard men? I have no idea why that's the first sentence in the description, but they are. They're aquatic creatures. No kidding. They hunt fish. Probably, since they live in the ocean. And that's their primary food source. Well, I guess they could eat seaweed. Um, They have communities where schools of fish are kept pinned with nets for food. Giant sea horses are used exclusively for transportation, in case you've ever seen Aquaman, but then again, well, merpeople usually don't have legs, so riding a horse, I guess they kind of, like, do a buggy type th- I don't know. Um, when out of water, they will take one die of damage per turn during daylight, and one die per four turns during darkness. As well as quadruple damage from fire weapon spells. And special suits are usually used when they're out of water to retain their moisture. But further limit their movement and combat abilities. As if affected by a slow spell. So they suck when they're outside of water. And it goes on the first two turns of water. Blah 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 Next we have giant crabs. They're crustaceans and cannot swim. But rather walk on the bottom moving sideways. They move out of the water with no ill effect. But will stay close to water. They got huge pincers. They can seize any normal man-sized opponent sometimes catching two or more 25% chance of catching one to three i am i guess one to three 25% chance to get one to three people um they attack uh the farms of uh mer people yeah and their big crabs and let's see anything found in their path is immediately attacked and torn apart fortunately they rarely go inland more than a mile so it might be f- fun to just like wreck some seaside villages with these things help us the crabs are coming giant octopi well yeah they're big octopi um wow okay in large numbers a school of oct- i never thought of octopi really living in schools but oh well giant squid it's like a giant octopi with more but is more vicious and able to swim around much more to feed on fish of any size including whales which are a favorite delicacy and they attack ships. Blah, 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 blah. Um, Giant crocodile. Kind of boring, uh, but, you know, they're crocodiles and they'll knock over sh- uh, small boats and stuff. Giant toads. Relatively harmless creatures. Prey Play- on uh, insects. Okay. <laughs> when threatened or provoked, they will defend themselves to the death, as player characters will. Um, we'd rather die than be captured. Um, they're found all over the world in different types of terrain, blah, blah, blah. It's toads. They're big toads. Giant frog. Giant man-eating frog. It's truly vicious. And not your normal species of frog, by the way. Attacking any small creature that crosses its path, its tongue is similar to that of the toad and is used the same although its range is only 10 feet. It can leap farther than a toad. Its primary diet is insects and rats but it is hunted by snakes and mermen as well as several species of birds and reptiles but avoided by insects. As is the toad. Um, found in swamps and along rivers. They will leap on passing ships from the shore to seize its victims. They are unintelligent and will retreat upon sustaining damage. But it will fight to the death if badly wounded or trapped. It kind of is like me. Giant leech. Um, yeah, they're big leeches. Um... they can be removed by killing them, but the victim must get a cured disease spell as soon as possible or die within a month. Sucks to be you. Giant beavers. You don't see these that much often, but they can build dams. And they're remarkably intelligent. Can be persuaded to build dams and other earthworks in exchange for jewelry, gold, and gourmet bark. I have no idea. That gourmet bark. Maybe like cinnamon? I don't know. Yeah, cinnamon's really a bark. Um, very available to their high. Is their hide, which commands high prices, in addition to the trinkets in their lair. Yeah, beavers. And next we have otters. As you're seeing, the, the monsters so far are kind of pretty freaking boring. Giant wasps. We're, we're going through giant. And then we have giant beetles. Okay, still boring. And of course we've got the the infamous fire beetles and the boring beetle. And it's boring because it digs, not because it's sounds like this podcast is boring. <clears throat> Excuse. Me. We will go on to a couple other things here. We're we're come on. to the fire lizard, also called the false dragon. Sorry I coughed there. These large lizards are of identical appearance to dragons without wings, of similar size. They're commonly mottled gray, nor rumored to be the ancestors of the present-day dragons. They share a number of habits with dragons such as seeking out shiny bubbles with which to line their nests and taking year naps after sealing off their cave. Unlike dragons, these beasts take about 10 years to mature and have only limited growth. While living a century, also unlike dragons, they harbor no great affection for their young. They can go as long as 10 years without eating, but if given sufficient chance, they will wolf down a cow or two every month. They're will immune to fire like dragons and can breathe a small puff of smoke and fire, 1-10 points of damage within 10 feet. Dragons will avoid injuring or fighting them if possible. They're believed to be unintelligent. You know, it'd be kind of easy to figure out if they're intelligent enough. If, like, the party really kind of worked at it. Um, Next is, I think this is possibly a typo. Because it's the Minotaur lizard. Not the Monitor lizard. The Minotaur lizard. Quite large in their own right. They in no way resemble dragons or fire lizards. And seldom exceed 40 feet. They can neither fly nor breathe fire, but have exceptionally long and sharp claws with which to attack and rend their prey. They live 40 years, maturing within 10. They drag their prey into their den before they will feed on it. They will take anything that enters their den. I don't know why they're minotaur lizards, not monitor lizards. Well, okay, it'd still be a giant monitor lizard, but still, it still... Who cares? And then we have some dinosaurs, giant sharks, whales, eels, lampreys, seahorses, Portuguese men of war. Yeah, we're kind of a weird nation. Dolphins. Then we've got, ha, ha ha aquatic elves, also known as sea elves. They're like mer people with legs. Um, the Pungi Ray. I have no idea what this is. Often mistaken for pieces of long weed or grass in the bottom, the Pungi Ray is a deadly Each of these seemingly innocent cl- green stalks is really iron hard. Iron hard spike full of deadly nerve poison. The protective coloration is excellent. Treat if invisible. There's a 50% chance there will be 1 to 10 gems inside the carcass. Each square foot of the body that lands on a ray will suffer a separate poison attack. Example, walking on one would be two attacks, one for each foot. Landing on one would be 20 to 30 attacks. Treat spines as poison draggers if saving throws or poison is made. Still suffered dagger damage. <coughs> <coughs> the ray is able to cover the victim. Treat it like a giant... Li- Dude, if you're still alive after that, give him a break. I mean... Okay, you need... Tw- uh, Yeah, Bob. Can you make 30 poison saves, please? Yeah, let me know if you fail any of them or you're going to be dead. Uh, the manta ray is next. Giant sea spider. Giant... Oh, I don't think they're... Giant. Weed eels. Small and weak. It's an eel, and that takes us to the one that we cannot pronounce, the Sahagwin, the Devilman of the Seab, which we will go into next episode. So yeah, some of those were pretty boring, some of them were pretty interesting, some of them were downright weird, things that probably never went further than that, but they were interesting monsters, nonetheless, except for the long list of just giant bugs. Okay, that was kind of a fun, eh, it's a giant bug. But anyway, I want to thank you for listening. I've rambled on long enough on this podcast. And one last final announcement that I forgot to do at the beginning. I'm bad at self-promotion, so I'm going to do it at the end. Thank you for listening all the way through. I have updated the tiers and goals on the Patreon, so go check out the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gazebos. And later this month, I'm going to throw something else out there for what I'm going to be doing for patrons. Because if you support me, I like giving you stuff, all right? So, with that, folks... Um, you know, roll dice, kill monsters, take their stuff and have fun.